J.D. John, F.J. at OffBeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Monday, so this is an archive show. First published as a newspaper column sometime in the last 10 years. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy the show. Like most tourist-friendly destinations on the Oregon coast, the town of Newport is well-stocked with kitschy pirate gear. Unlike other spots, though, Newport has a real history involving pirates, specifically oyster pirates. Most people who have heard of oyster piracy think of the stories of Jack London's youth when he borrowed money to buy a small skiff and went into the (coughs) business down in San Francisco Bay. Or they may think of the long and occasionally bloody struggles between oystermen and oyster pirates in Chesapeake Bay on the East Coast, which were still straggling on as late as the 1950s. But Newport's relationship with oyster piracy actually predates the city of Newport. It goes all the way back to the days of the Civil War, when Yaquina Bay was just starting to be noticed by European types. Ship captains and traders whose rough temporary settlement at the back of the bay was known as Oysterville. For the coastal Native American tribes, oysters had always been an important food. There were oyster beds generously distributed all over the bay, and the oysters that grew there provided the Indians all they could eat. Unfortunately, though, two things became a problem shortly after the Bostons started moving in, Bostons being Native American slang for American citizens from back east. First, demand for oysters went from a few bushels a week to essentially infinity. The city of San Francisco, a few days' sailing journey away, would buy and devour every oyster it could get its hands on. So professional oystermen with large sailing ships and industrial oyster harvesting techniques got very interested in the fishery. The second problem, which unfortunately wouldn't become obvious until too late, was that these delicious exotic West Coast oysters, the variety known as Olympia oysters, were very slow to reproduce and grow. This is why Yaquina Bay no longer has a commercial native oyster fishery today, although restoration efforts are beginning to bear fruit in other places, notably Neetarts Bay. By 1863, the Solettes Indian Reservation had been created, and it included all of Yaquina Bay, oysters and all. So the Indians contracted with two commercial fishermen, Captains Solomon Dodge of the sloop Fanny and James J. Winant of the schooner Annie G. Doyle, to exploit the resource for them. Dodge and Winant had a great deal. They paid the tribes a total royalty of $1.15 per bushel of oysters and then hauled the tasty shellfish to San Francisco and sold them for $10 a bushel. The problem was they had unwanted company on the oyster beds back home in Yaquina Bay. That would be the Dread Pirate Hillier. Yaquina Bay's resident oyster pirate was a skipper named Richard Hillier, captain of the schooner Cordelia Terry. Hillier not only helped himself to the Indians' oysters, but he did so with brazen hostility, asserting, according to Marshall's account, the, quote, free right of all citizens to take fish in American waters. He considered himself to owe the Indians nothing for the oysters, and he paid them nothing, and considered Dodge and Winant suckers for having agreed to do so. After some fruitless attempts to talk things over with Hillier, the Solette's Indian agent, Ben Simpson, wrote to his supervisor asking for help enforcing the law. 
Soon a small company of U.S. Army soldiers was on its way over the coast range from a post on the Yamhill River. The soldiers settled into an encampment near Oysterville, enjoyed a hearty dinner courtesy of the grateful Dodge and Winant, and retired for the night. And the next day they sallied forth to pay a courtesy call on the pirate Hillier aboard his schooner. Hillier received them with a smooth and unctuous welcome, and they dutifully presented their orders to him. An injunction to desist from further oyster piracy in tribal waters on pain of arrest and prosecution. Hillier cheerfully agreed to comply with everything, and the soldiers headed back to camp satisfied that they had achieved their goal. Then they found out that Hillier had secretly arranged to dose their chow that night with enough laudanum to keep them all asleep until noon the next day. The plan was, while the soldiers snoozed and the other oystermen raged, he'd be frenetically loading his ship with oysters and standing out across the bar headed for San Francisco and payday. The soldiers avoided the doped food, and bright and early the next morning, to Hillier's surprise, they came to see him. Hillier, thinking on his feet, hastily tried to call the soldiers bluff, loading his ship with oysters and essentially daring them to arrest him. When they borrowed a skiff and rowed out to do so, he hoisted a British flag, apparently in an attempt to bluff them into thinking that arresting him would cause an international incident. They ignored this, boarded the ship, arrested him, unloaded his ship, and hauled him off to Corvallis. Hillier filed some lawsuits and criminal complaints, none of which really went anywhere, although he was soon released from prison. Meanwhile, he was officially banned from entering Yaquina Bay. Grudgingly, he returned to his ship and went off to try his luck in more northerly fisheries. Hillier's other oyster-thieving enterprises must not have worked out very well, though, because in September of 1864 he was back in Yaquina Bay with a crew of hard-fisted fighters, ready to take what was quote-unquote rightfully his by force. Simpson again summoned the army, but their services turned out not to be necessary. Historical records of this engagement are sparse. If someone left a full account of this final battle of the Yaquina Bay Oyster War, I have not been able to find it. But it seems, reading between the lines, that Captains Dodge and Winant, the bay's legitimate oysterman, had anticipated something like this. A few days later, Winant sailed his schooner, the Annie G. Doyle, into the bay with a crew of the roughest, toughest, rootin' tootinest bar fighters the Central Oregon coast had ever known. A short, sharp action ensued, presumably involving fisticuffs, you know, pirates of the oyster beds having far less affection for the arts of cutlass and pistol than their colleagues of the high seas do, in, in Oregon at any rate. And at the end of this action, pirate Captain Hillier was in full retreat across the bar and out to sea. Two weeks later, perhaps seeking a rematch, he was on his way into the bay when he ran onto the bar and the Cordelia Terry broke up and sank out from under his feet. He survived the shipwreck, but left the area and was never heard from again. And that was the end of the Aquina Bay Oyster War and of oyster piracy there. Unless, of course, you count the U.S. government's subsequent theft of all of Aquina Bay, oysters and all, from the Siletz Indians. As a side note, Captain Winant's schooner, the Annie E. Doyle, suffered the same fate as Hillier's pirate ship just six months later, in the same spot. Meyert Vachsmuth, one of Winant's crew members, barely managed to make it to the beach and decided on the spot to leave the sea for the relative safety of oyster harvesting in Yaquina Bay. His business grew and thrived and eventually led to his son, Louis Vachsmuth, founding Dan and Lewis Oyster Bar in Portland. This story was first published on May 25th of 2014 under the headline, Pirates Were Defeated in Yaquina Bay Oyster War. Key sources included works by Don Marshall and Katie Muldoon. 
That's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. What you've been listening to is one of more than 500 stories originally created and published as newspaper columns in first-run syndication between 2008 and today. You can read them all at offbeatoregon.com. Other Offbeat Oregon goodies include an active Facebook page, a Twitter feed, a ton of historic photos, and a bunch more stuff. Plus a book, including visuals for today's show and full citations to sources. All these things are accessible via our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Episodes of Offbeat Oregon History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶